Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. Many people are talking about a shift in human evolution. What is driving this shift? And how do we steer it in a positive direction? Will it be primarily a spiritual shift, as many in the New Age believe? Will it be a purely scientific and technological shift, as many transhumanists and AI developers believe? Or will these two approaches somehow meet and work together to uplift the Earth to a more balanced and advanced future? The answers to these questions truly rest in our hands. One thing is for sure, achieving such a balance will require a core shift in how we think, act, and relate. In other words, a paradigm shift. Paradigm shifts are what lead us to revolutionizing our way of life. Thomas Kuhn, the author of The Structure of Scientific Revolution, said that when paradigms change, the world changes with them. Can we retrain our way of thinking and living away from old programming into being truly open and attuned to a new paradigm of reality? Yes, we can. One of the challenges that we're encountering, though, is that even in this age of quantum physics, string theories, and multiverse cosmology, human thought is still very much stuck in a Newtonian way of operating. The way we perceive and approach problems has been heavily influenced by outdated paradigms that are no longer suitable for the fast-paced and uncertain world of today. In this regards, Thomas Kuhn also said, all significant breakthroughs are break-withs, old ways of thinking, but also that we must replace an old paradigm with a new one. Fortunately, a new vision for how we relate to the world is emerging and it is based on the quantum view of reality. So let's take a look at these two paradigms, Newtonian versus quantum, and how they differ. The Newtonian paradigm is based upon the ideas of determinism, separatism, reductionism, and materialism. In essence, this says that everything can be isolated and reduced to its individual parts, which must function in a linear, logical, clockwork way. It says that things should be predictable and controllable, and it cuts us off from spirit and choice. And it encourages separation, which fuels ego and greed. We don't need to look far to see how this old paradigm has led to a world out of balance. What about the quantum paradigm? What is it? And can it help us improve our situation? In a quantum view, things are complementary contextual, conscious, and connected. These quantum principles turn the Newtonian paradigm completely on its head. Now, while strange and exotic, quantum theory is the most successful physics theory we have to date. We live in a quantum universe, from the smallest of particles to the largest structures of intergalactic space. Quantum principles underlie everything in our universe. We too are quantum beings. One of the most exciting and promising aspects of quantum physics is that it says that the universe is participatory, meaning our choices matter. 
Even our thoughts matter. This puts the power back in our hands. But there's more to this process than the popular notion of intention. As a scientist trained in both classical and quantum physics, I have always been fascinated by the strange and wonderful possibilities of quantum physics. From the beginning of my studies, I had this intuitive sense that quantum principles not only apply to the atomic and subatomic worlds, but also to the basic fabric of our existence. They reveal a deeper universal truth about who and what we are. They can inform our overall view of reality. And when we reorient our ways of thinking towards this view, the doors to new possibilities open wide. So for example, what might happen if we applied quantum principles to re-envisioning our models for 21st century society? How might our societal systems transform? Systems such as business, economics, relationships, psychology, philosophy, sociology, education, and more. When Newtonianism was applied in this way over 300 years ago, it not only cemented in the scientific revolution that was underway, it also became the catalyst in the Age of Enlightenment, and then later the Industrial Revolution. How might our way of life transform today if we truly reinvented ourselves based upon the newer quantum principles? One example of how this has already started to happen is through the digital age. So many of our modern technologies that are driving society today are based upon quantum physics, from cell phones to digital computers, MRI imaging, and atomic lasers. And because of this, most of us now recognize that we do live in a connected world, where energy and vibration are more fundamental than matter, and perspectives are more relative or contextual than certain. However, when it comes to our day-to-day -day experience of the world around us, most people are still not operating from quantum awareness. Why is that? Well, it's one thing to have the concept, and it's quite another thing to change the way we think and perceive. Can we reprogram or rewire our perceptions? Is that even possible? After hundreds of years of genetic and social conditioning, the answer is yes, it is possible. But it takes a combination of the correct concepts and daily practice to make this shift. When enough of us make the shift in our own lives, then we can help support and guide the collective shift. Let's start diving in to take a deeper look at the four quantum principles and what they tell us. These govern all quantum phenomenon, and they're all interlinked. Those principles, again, are complementarity, contextuality, consciousness, and connectivity. What do these terms mean, and how do they apply to us? To answer that, let's take a look at each one. First is complementarity. It is a cornerstone principle that governs many extraordinary behaviors at the quantum level. Central to it is what is known as the uncertainty principle. This says that it is impossible to precisely measure two observables that are tied together as complementary pairs. One example of such a complementary pair is a particle's position in space and its momentum through space. Meaning, if we know exactly where a particle is, then we'll not be able to know anything about its momentum, which relates to its mass, its speed, and its direction, or vice versa. 
One interesting way to apply this to ourselves is to ask the questions, where am I now? And where am I going? Now, if we know exactly where we are right now, then we won't have total clarity on where we're going. And that's because in order to know our exact position, we must be standing still. If we're standing still, then we have several options for where we can go from here. Have you ever experienced that kind of uncertainty in where you're going in life? Now, the flip side of this is that if we know our precise momentum of where we're going and how fast, we'll not be able to know exactly where we are. That's because we're moving and so our position keeps changing. Now, it's good to have momentum in life, but it's also important to sometimes stop and be here now. Now, speaking of the now, another complementary pair are energy and time. Now, how can we understand this one? First of all, energy is related to vibration. All things move or oscillate at a certain rate. And the rate of vibration is what we call the frequency, which is usually measured as cycles per second. Now, frequency and therefore energy are inversely connected to time. How energy and time are coupled at the quantum level goes something like this. If we know the precise moment that an event takes place, then the amount of energy contained in it becomes uncertain, meaning all energy is potentially accessible. Conversely, if we know exactly how much energy something has, then we'll not be able to say when it occurred, meaning all time is potentially accessible, giving us access to eternity. Now, how can we apply this to ourselves? We can ask the questions, when am I? Am I stuck in the past? Am I projecting into the future? When our mind is ruminating on past or future, we can sense how much energy it takes up. Or am I in the now? Only when we're in the now does our measurement of time become precise because only the now is real. Now, the cool thing is that when we're in the now, that is when limitless energy becomes possible or accessible. Alternatively, we could ask, what is my energy level? Since energy is directly related to frequency, when we increase our frequency, we raise our energy level. If we can bring our energy into a coherent state where everything is precisely attuned to one frequency or resonance, that is when our sense of time disappears and we can become one with eternity. In quantum physics, we talk about there being many simultaneous possibilities and probabilities all existing at once. Until a measurement or observation, aka a choice, is made. Now, upon observation, one of those possibilities will manifest out while the others will disappear. This is known as the observer effect and collapsing the waveform. How is this observer effect discovered? It relates to another aspect of complementarity known as wave-particle duality. In the early days of quantum discovery, it began with scientists trying to understand the nature of light. Is it a wave or is it a particle? It turns out light displays both behaviors. Now this confronted scientists with a mystery or paradox. How can light be both a wave and a particle? 
The paradigm at the time said it must be either or, not both and. And the mystery grew when scientists began to wonder whether matter also could behave as both wave and particle. And indeed, it could. And there have been many indications and new discoveries in quantum physics that have confirmed all of this. Now, to make a long story short, if they set up the experiment to see if it's a wave, then indeed, they get wave-like behavior. But if they set up the experiment to try and observe it as a particle, then the behavior changes to that of a particle. It's all about how the scientists choose to set up their observation or measurement points. And what's fascinating is that it is as if the quanta are aware that they're being observed. The very act of observing has a dramatic effect on their behavior. It is a real phenomenon. What is quantum physics telling us about the underlying nature of the universe? First, it reveals that the universe is dual, or we can say complementary. The things that we can observe have a dual nature. Wave, particle. Position, momentum. Energy, time. Each pair intricately tied together. In its quantum realm, it can be both and neither. It's all one. In the quantum realm, infinite possibilities exist simultaneously. It's a sea of possibility, and it's non-dual. But once we take a measurement or try to observe one of those states in the physical, that is when uncertainty and duality enter in. Upon observation, we come to know about one aspect, while sacrificing the ability to know about its complementary partner. Where this dual nature gets reconciled back to oneness is in the quantum realm, rather than in this object-based observer realm of the physical. Now, this brings us to the second major quantum principle that says that things are contextual. As the double-slit experiments confirm, measurement alters the state. Quantum behavior depends on the conditions given. What does this mean? Well, one way of interpreting this is that things are meaningful. We give meaning to things by the act of observing them. The meaning we give depends on the context or set of conditions we choose to go with, or it depends on the assumptions that we make. Now, this meaning emerges from the interaction or the synergy between the observer and the observed. Emergence of different properties is another hallmark of quantum physics theories. When various particles and forces are interacting under certain conditions, entirely new things can emerge out of the quantum sea, things that were not there before. The whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Now here again, we have the opposite of Newtonian reductionism. At the metaphysical and philosophical level, this idea of context begs the questions. Did we perhaps choose to come into this object-based experience of the physical 
so that we could observe ourselves and so that we could observe all the possible manifestations of the Source and by observing, come to know and by knowing, bestow meaning. If so, does that mean that we can give our own lives greater meaning, especially when we put it into the context of a mission? A quantum mindset would say, yes, the universe is participatory. We are co-creating in partnership with this universe through our observations and choices. This means that our consciousness plays a vital role in determining what manifests out of the quantum sea of possibilities. Is the universe conscious? What is consciousness anyhow? Is it what the materialists claim, that it's just an epiphenomenon of the brain, or what emerges purely from groups of molecules working together in a physical system? Or is consciousness more fundamental to our universe, more primary, as the sages and wisdom teachings of the planet have taught? My personal view is that consciousness is primary, how can something be responsive to consciousness if it's not somehow sentient or conscious itself? Now, fortunately, those of us who view consciousness as the foundational essence of the universe are in good company. Several of the brilliant minds who helped discover and develop quantum theory also believed this, and they richly discussed it, including John von Neumann, Wolfgang Pauli, Erwin Schrödinger, Eugene Wigner, and many others. Max Planck even said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We can also see this idea of a participatory conscious universe in many ancient wisdom traditions. For example, in the Hermetica, we read, everything seen has been begotten because at some point it came to be seen. There is nothing in the cosmos that does not live. Life is not birth, but awareness. All are immortal. Matter, life, spirit, soul, mind, of which everything is constituted. One of the most mind-boggling findings of quantum physics that has both intrigued and baffled scientists is how quantum systems that meet and interact are forevermore entangled. What this means is that they can no longer be considered as individual but have become an intimately connected whole. They form a single entity, even if the components are on opposite ends of the universe, information is somehow communicated between them instantly, regardless of how much time or space passes between them. Albert Einstein, who was a staunch determinist to the end, dubbed this phenomenon voodoo forces and spooky action at a distance. This quantum discovery greatly challenges the Newtonian idea of separation, the idea that things are independent and can only affect one another by direct physical forces. How did the discovery of these spooky actions come about? The idea goes back to 1935 when the founders of quantum physics were trying to understand and interpret the meaning of the new quantum discoveries. Niels Bohr, Werner Heisenberg, Wolfgang Pauli, and their team, who proposed the Copenhagen interpretation, thought that the qualities of connectedness, uncertainty, and the observer influence were integral aspects of quantum physics. The Copenhagen interpretation says that there's no actual physical property that exists in the real world until it is observed. 
This is better known today as the observer effect. Now, Einstein, on the other hand, thought this was crazy. He stood staunchly in favor of the deterministic, real, separable world of Newton. To demonstrate the absurdity of the quantum theory, he and his colleagues proposed a thought experiment known as the EPR paradox. They pointed out that when two particles, A and B, originating in unison from the same source eject out in opposite directions, they'll have correlated properties. For example, the spin of electrons or the polarization of photons. Now, if an observer measures the property of particle A, then instantly that person will also know the result for particle B. Now, according to quantum theory, this observation forced both particles to pick a state out of the many possible states. And they must do so in a correlated way because of how they were created together in the first place. Somehow, particle B instantly knows what state particle A ended up in upon observation. The problem, according to Einstein, was that this instantaneous influence would mean that information has to travel faster than the speed of light from A to B in order to conserve their correlation. This seems to violate special relativity, which says that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. It also says that the quantum world must be non-local. What does that mean? Well, it means that altering one quantum object can instantly influence distant parts of the universe. Now, here again, we encounter a hermetic principle, the principle of correspondence, that says, as above, so below. Or another way of saying this is, as here, so elsewhere. The choices we make really can reach across the universe. Even modern-day theoretical physicist Michio Kaku says, it is impossible to completely separate ourselves from the oneness of the universe. What else can quantum physics reveal about our connection to the universe? Well, for one thing, this connectedness is not just true for particles that originate from the same source. In fact, any two quantum systems that interact become entangled in some way. When particles are entangled, we can only describe one in relation to its partners. Even when entangled systems fly galaxies apart, they are never truly separated, and they continue to influence each other instantaneously. Plus, the systems that they interact with along their journey also become part of that entangled whole, and so on. And this includes us too. We are entangled with every particle we have ever interacted with, including other people, and all the people and things that they have interacted with, and so on. Imagine the implications of this. Every subatomic particle of light or energy that has ever traveled to us, whether from Earth or from outer space and the stars, if it's interacted with our body, then it is still entangled with us wherever it may now be in the universe. Plus, all the other particles that it has ever interacted with are also entangled with us because of this. Talk about connectivity. Even more amazing is if the whole universe started from a Big Bang singularity, then that would say that everything was entangled from the beginning and to some degree still is. Not only that, but evidence suggests that a kind of connectedness extends not just to quantum objects, but also is found in evolutionary biology, consciousness studies, and cosmology. 
So what does this tell us? This suggests that non-local coherence may be a fundamental aspect of reality. It implies that beyond energy and matter, there is information intrinsic within the universe. It is a special kind of information that not only transmits, it also plays a vital role of forming nature at all scales, from the quantum to us to the cosmos. We truly are connected to the stars and to each other. We live in a connected universe. This might sound cliche, but this is physics, not just spiritual philosophy. Yet, it supports what many spiritual teachers and initiates have said through time. We are all one. Is there really here or there? At the quantum level, no. Space does not really exist or pose a limitation. From the reference frame or quantum reality of entangled systems, there's only here. There is no separation. There's only one whole. What does quantum physics have to say then about time? Is there a past, present, and future? Does the arrow of time only move forward? Is there a then and now? The quantum answer to that also is no. Time does not impose any limitations on the quantum realm. Now, this was confirmed through what are known as the delayed choice experiments, first proposed by quantum cosmologist John Wheeler. And physicists have also been able to demonstrate entanglement of particles that never even coexisted in time using what is known as entanglement swapping. This means that quantum systems are not bound by space or time. When it comes to entangled systems, all is here now. This implies that space-time is not fundamental, but rather emergent. And here again, we can see that quantum connectedness is more fundamental than space or time. So what does all of this tell us? Well, we truly are connected to the stars and to each other. Why is this connectedness so fundamental? Here again, we can turn to the Hermetic principle and teachings on correspondence. The three initiates tell us that this principle embodies the truth that there is a harmony, agreement, and correspondence between the several planes of manifestation. The same laws and characteristics apply at all levels because it comes from the same source, the All. Now, whether scientists realize it or not, they have inherited their search to understand the universe from their predecessors, many of whom were initiates in the Hermetic tradition. The oral tradition of Hermetic teachings is said to date back at least 8,000 years and has been kept alive as sacred wisdom by the initiates of the mystery schools. Most scientists agree that there should be a finite set of laws that govern the universe. In physics, we talk about the laws of general relativity, quantum mechanics, thermodynamics, and so forth. But these laws are just signposts pointing to a deeper truth that underlies them. Scientists have long sought to understand the mind of God, or what Einstein called the secrets of the old one. They search for a theory of everything, one mathematical formula that unites all laws of physics. And in their heart of hearts, Many hope to discover that the universe is self-consistent, that there is reason and meaning to all that we observe and experience. 
and there is. But so long as scientists remain rigidly opposed to bringing consciousness into those laws, they will fail to find a true theory of everything. The original as above, so below principle comes from the ancient emerald tablets of Toth Hermes. The original statement reads, true, without error, certain and most true. That which is above is as that which is below, and that which is below is as that which is above, for performing the miracles of the one thing. And as all things were from one, by the meditation of one, so from this one thing come all things by adaptation. We can see in this statement that there is a distinction made between the one thing and the one mind. The miracles of the one thing are the manifestations of the one into matter, and then the subsequent work to perfect and evolve those things by adaptation or transformation. But the one itself is source, the all, from which all things come. And it tells us that the way these things come to be is by the meditation of one. Let's look deeper at what meditation means here. Meditation is the focusing of one's mind or total awareness until it comes completely into a state of coherence. Again, coherence is a major key when it comes to the quantum realm. It means everything is aligned, synchronized, and of one whole. In other words, it's a unified state. In this coherent state, the mind meditates upon the one thing it desires to manifest. In the Hermetica, Hermes tells his son Tat that everything seen has been begotten because at some point it came to be seen. Coming to be is nothing but imagination. That sounds a lot like the observer effect. Then Hermes says that the one source is invisible because it always is, and what begets is not itself begotten. But if you want to see God, consider the sun, consider the circuit of the moon, consider the order of the stars. Who keeps this order? For there is nothing in all the cosmos that God is not. And if you don't like the word God, just replace it with source or universal consciousness or whatever you prefer. Now, as all things are from one, by the meditation of one, Hermeticists call this the principle of mentalism. The one or the all may be thought of as a universal, infinite, living mind. Or perhaps today we might call it a unified field of pure consciousness. This is at the foundation of everything. It is within this one mind that all is united. So if physicists want to find their theory of everything, they must include the one mind, consciousness, as an essential part of all that is. Both Erwin Schrodinger and Wolfgang Pauli, two of the founders of quantum mechanics, had this insight of the importance of the one mind. Schrodinger, who studied the Upanishads, once said, multiplicity is only apparent. In truth, there is only one mind. And Pauli dedicated the last half of his career and life to trying to understand what he called the psychophysical problem or the mind-body problem from a scientific perspective. Now, how can we apply all of this in our lives today? First of all, 
Since we are all connected, that means the changes that we make within do matter to the universe. As physicist John Wheeler said, useful as it is under everyday circumstances to say that the world exists out there independent of us, that view can no longer be upheld. When we work on improving ourselves, healing and cleaning up our thoughts, words, and deeds, it makes a difference. When we transform from negative to positive in our lives, we send good vibes throughout the universe. The outer is a manifestation of the inner. What does that mean for us? If we want our outer life and our world as a whole to improve, we must each start within. Secondly, this shows us that if there is a way to direct what comes out of the quantum field, it will require more than just choice or intention. Those things are a beginning, and they might get us results, but they are random results. What we need is to hold coherent intention, connect it to the one mind, and meditate upon the result we desire. Only through a daily meditation practice will we regularly quiet the lower mind, will we be able to consciously tap into the one mind. Once we cultivate the ability to hold a prolonged coherent state of being, that is when we will become more effective participants in the game of life. Easier said than done, right? Maybe. But quantum physics gives us other key insights into how to tap into that unified state more easily. I'm Dr. Teresa Bullard, and this is Mystery Teachings. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform.